Welcome to the Cybersecurity Weekly Podcast. I'm Jane Lowe, podcasting from Singapore today. And with us today, we are very fortunate to have Charles Lee, who is the Chief Technology Officer and also the Chief Analyst with Team T5 based in Taiwan. And he will be sharing with us his insights on the Chinese cyber threat landscape from a Taiwanese cybersecurity expert perspective. So Charles, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us about your perspectives. Hello, everyone. Nice to meet you online. So, Charles, I thought we could uh, kick off the podcast by looking at some threat actors that you covered at your talk at Black Hat Asia 2022. And these are some notorious groups when it comes to talking about the Chinese cyber threat landscape. You highlighted a few which are targeting the online entertainment business. I believe APT27, which is Emissary Panda, APT41, which is uh, Winty, and also APT10 as well, which is uh, Stone Panda. And I think um, for our audience, most will be familiar with the fact that these threat actors are attached to the Chinese Ministry of State Security. And these threat actor groups have all been called out by governments, uh, particularly by the uh, US uh, in the recent couple of years. And also APT27, of course, uh, had been called out by the German government for exploiting the Microsoft Exchange Server vulnerability that we heard so much about early last year in 2021. So for our audience, you know, they will be familiar with kind of these uh, high-level facts. But uh, I guess the question would be, since you cover at your presentation, what are the distinguishing features of these threat actors? So, for example, what are common amongst them? And perhaps what set them apart from each other. So I was thinking like attack vectors, is there any commonality, motivations? So if you could give us the highlights from the talk about some of these overlaps and also unique features. Sure. As you mentioned, many of APT groups, for example, APT41, APT47, they are hackers for hire. They are recruited by Chinese government to conduct attacks. And uh, uh, during our tracking of this adversary group, uh, we see many code overlap between their hacking tools, their malwares. A reasonable hypothesis could be they have a common channel to provide digital weapons for them. For example, they might be actively communicating on some hacking forum or they have a technical group who is responsible to provide them these weapons. That's our hypothesis. So APT27 and APT41 are, as you say, kind of hackers for hire, and they are advertising their services on some forums. And I think um, when it comes to motivations uh, beyond espionage or surveillance, this is sort of getting into the area of making extra money. Mm-hmm. Um, moonlighting as a hacker. So when it comes to APT10, then what can you tell us? Are they also hackers for hire? Uh, according to FBI, yes, they are also hackers for hire. And they have a company to get this kind of contract from Chinese government to this mm-hmm. kind of attacks. Mm-hmm. So all these three APT groups, as I introduced earlier, they are attached to the, minister, the Chinese Ministry of uh, State Security, but they are attached to the different different states, aren't they? Like um, APT41 is attached to the Chengdu State Security Bureau. APT10, I believe, is um, Tianjin. Can you tell us more about all these uh, different state security 
bureaus and how they are working with these groups? Are they employees under these uh, state security services? It's hard to tell the relationship between these different security bureaus. But I mentioned earlier, they have some two overlap. So it's more likely they have a higher commander who is in charge of coordinating, maybe because they are located in different region in China. So they work closely with local bureaus. To talk about the tools, uh, there's some overlap. Are, are we talking about sort of like custom-made tools? Uh, I believe that you, your group and your team uh, looked at mm. some of these tools that have been developed by the Chinese uh, tri-actors. There are some customized ones that are quite sophisticated. Actually, we see more tools overlap between APT27 and APT41. But for many parts, they, their tool is more isolated from others. So, uh, so just for our for the purpose of our audience um, information, uh, sure. menu pass is uh, also known as APT ten. That's right. Yes, and yes. also known as uh, Stone Panda. And so, can you just uh, give us some indication when it comes to the target industry sectors and countries? Is there any differentiation? Um, so, what I'm thinking is that, for example. Is that like a specific region that uh, each group specializes in? So, for example, I'm thinking about, you know, APT27, mm. they specifically mentioned that they target Southeast Asia. Okay, when it comes to targeted region, uh, I would say menu pass, uh, APT10, appears to have a more focused area, Japan. They have mm. attacked Japan for many years. Also, some other Asian entities related to Japan. But for APT41, they seem to be the most aggressive adversary group in China. I would say they are very active in whole APEC region. So you, you can imagine Taiwan, Japan, Korea, Southeast Asia, or even uh, South Asia. But for APT27, uh, recently our observation would be they are interested in some Middle East or uh, Central Asia or Southeast Asia region, but their targeted sector seems to be more focused on financial related institute. Although, although they also attack some government entity, public sector as well. So that's interesting. So, yeah, so to follow up on that, uh, targeting the financial institutions, that is not just for monetary reasons. Uh, I would think that is for espionage, data exfiltration, sort of motivations. Yeah, that's one of the key points of our talk. For the past year, uh, Team T5 has helped many uh, investigations. And in the beginning, our idea would be they are trying to collect some money from these victims. However, in some investigations, we mm -hmm. see they collected information. For example, the actor tried to collect employee information of this online entertainment company mm. and their cash flow document. Right, uh, okay. Yeah. That, that, that's why we start thinking maybe beyond money collecting, they have more surveillance-related mm. tasks. 
So it seems like they are could potentially be collecting the information for conducting more due diligence on employees who work in the gaming industry for anti-money laundering purposes. That's a possibility. That's our hypothesis. Another reason why drive us to have this research is in the end of 2021st, we see many casinos in Macau. Their people in charge got seized by Chinese authorities, and some of the casinos we know have been attacked by this APT group as well. That's the main reason why we want to have this talk. It's possible that before the actual official movement, these APT groups help Chinese authority to collect some uh, information, to collect some evidence. And uh, this information are passed to Chinese authority to help do these legal actions. Uh, right, yes, yeah. I think um, it's quite a discussion point amongst uh, cybersecurity professionals that the Chinese uh, cyber threat landscape is, uh, in general, aligned with the Chinese uh, five-year economic development plan, right? And then um, entertainment and the gaming crackdown is part of the, I guess, the either the the recent one or the previous uh, five-year plans. Um, yes. Yeah, so these three groups that we have just been talking about, APT10, APT27, APT41, they have been around for at least a decade, haven't they? APT41, for example, is quite known for its distinct use of um, supply mm-hmm. chain compromise. APT10 has been pointed out by the United States government for its technology theft campaigns since 2006. Yes. Um, and APT27 is the long list of operations that they have been involved in. They do ransomware, obviously, in the last two years. They were doing espionage for the government. And you pointed out that they are now, uh, recently, you observed that they have been targeting the gaming industry. Actually, in, in these years, when they are attacking gaming industry, they are also actively attacking other industries. So I would say I don't see a clear distinction between their operations for these two years and before. All right, okay. Um, your team also pointed this out in some of your presentations that despite being exposed, so despite being um, identified by governments, um, these mm-hmm. groups continued with evolution in their tactics and techniques. And in some cases, we're not talking about weeks or months for them to resurface, right? There was some talk that in the case of APT41, there were some mm. reported examples where the group comp- was able to compile new version of backdoors using freshly registered C2 domain just hours after a vulnerability has been patched or where a group was able to spearfish and you know regain mm. foothold just a few days after the remediation of the original intrusion. So these groups are very adaptable and very agile. And this yeah. is something that you also pointed out as well. Yes, after this public exposure, I believe their tools, their DNC infrastructure and their operations would be detected by security vendor. That would be the main reason why they change their tools, migrate their CNC infrastructure after the exposure. And they were able to do it very quickly as well. Yes, so that's what we guess they may have some dedicated development team. So they could quickly change from uh, one tool set to another in a short time. 
Wow, but but okay. yeah, again, that's just a hypothesis. Yeah, it's difficult to know unless you are well actually working in the group. <laughs> yeah. Then, or maybe you can interview this actor. <laughs> okay, uh, right. Okay, so um, there's also of course other groups. So we talked about all those three groups. There's of of course also APT40, which mm -hmm. has been called out by also the U.S. government, but also been called out by the Taiwanese government, right? Yeah. So on this note, I like to say that you know from the perspective of Taiwan, right? The Chinese cyber offensive operations have been the, a long-running sort of campaign, obviously for geopolitical reasons. Yeah. Um, and then the recent one that we read about is the Ants Lion Group, I believe, that have been targeting financial institutions in Taiwan. But there are also significant information warfare during the Taiwanese elections back in 2020, which you also pointed out, I believe, in one of your presentations and paper. You talked mm. about the Chinese APT actors. Um, they might have entered this uh, information operations threat landscape. And uh, can you tell us more about this and why is it particularly concerning? Uh, uh, okay, so uh, one obvious case of their information operation would be last year, uh, some Chinese actor, they tried to conduct information operation attacks against our company, I mean, Team D5. Oh, right, uh, okay. So, so uh, in the, it, it's in the middle of a long uh, vacation. We see some discussion in some local Taiwanese forum spreading some rumor that our company is helping Taiwanese government to conduct uh, cyber attacks against Japanese government, Japanese people. Mm. And uh, we were curious why this rumor came out. So we tried to track the original source of the attack. And the actor quickly distributed this kind of information to some BBS. Oh, BBS other. is a broadcasting system, isn't it? Yes, yes. And, so uh, it's like some, an online forum. Yes. Yes, and okay. uh, some Japanese forum, some Japanese content fund. There is even some local media who help distribute this kind of rumor. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Are they yeah. Taiwanese media? Um, but they are small. So our yeah. investigation shows that they just got request from someone they don't know, and they get some money. So they helped to post this kind of message. And after our investigation, we believe the actor could be from China and their purpose could be to ruin the brand of our company. And in the meantime, maybe they want to disrupt relationship between Taiwan and Japan because, you know, uh, Taiwan and Japan are very close. That's a very interesting case. Is there any indications that the Chinese actors in this case would they require special sort of um, uh, hacking skills to conduct this kind of information warfare? Because it just sounds like what they are doing is um, perhaps creating anonymous accounts on forums and posting these messages. I don't think, uh, I, I mean, you, you don't need to have this kind of uh, hack, hacking skills to conduct information operations. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, in some cases, we see overlap between Chinese APT actor and Chinese InfoUp actors. That case around two, two years ago, some actors, they were spreading some rumor in Taiwanese BBS and uh, their purpose is saying something bad about Taiwanese military entities. But they left some footprints, uh, their source IP address in oh, right. their 
okay. yeah, in their in their post. And uh, Team D5, we have a very big database about Chinese APT activities. And when we try to cross compare their source IP address and our APT database, we see some overlap between uh, one of their source IP address and one APT malware CNC. All so, right, okay. We guess in some cases, these APT actors might have some relationship with info up actors. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, information operations is not the only uh, operations in the cyber space that Taiwanese organizations face, right? There's also like ransomware, espionage, mm. um, of mm. course, uh, also all these uh, COVID type attacks that we have all over the world over the last two years, right? Yeah, because of, of this special relationship between Taiwan and China. So these Chinese APT actors are very active in attacking Taiwan by different means. And for the past two years, because the, yeah, the relationship are getting more the, tense, so we see their attack frequency are getting higher and higher. Right. Yeah, you also talked about other concerns like new evasion tactics. If we take the example of the Taiwanese uh, financial institution that was targeted, some threat researcher did mention that the dwell time was quite impressive, that the threat actors spent almost 250 days in the system undetected. Um, mm -hmm. are, are these signs of increased maturity or are these standard tactics that you have observed in the past? Actually, the phenomenon you mentioned is common. When we do incident response for victims, it's normal that these threat actors have stayed in their network environment for more than one year, two years. And uh, I believe in the past three to five years, because there are more and more research about these attack activities. So it raises the awareness of, of ordinary people to these attacks. So uh, mm -hmm. in Taiwan, we see an increasing budget resources and uh, also regulations to increase uh, cybersecurity investment. That's mm. the situation in Taiwan. Right. Okay. So um, there's another common question that, you know, normally when we talk about nation state actors, how, uh, whether they are actually collaborating uh, between themselves. So, for example, earlier we talked about how some of these uh, APT threat actors are advertising their services as a hacker and also selling some of the information onto other other groups uh, to make money. But um, what about collaborations um, with other APT actors in other countries? One hypothesis that people talk about, you know, like the, the swift attack on the Taiwanese bank, right? And there are some speculation that is conducted by the North Korean threat actor group Lazarus, right? Mm -hmm. That is back in 2017. Was that some indication that a North Korea APT actor groups are working with the Chinese uh, APT groups? Uh, let, let, let me try to correct one thing first. These APT actors, they are very low profile. So it's possible that they have some very secret forum so they can communicate. But it's less likely they will advertise their hacking service to many people. And uh, you mentioned if it's possible that North Korean hackers cooperated with Chinese APT actors. And we read some speculations about this possibility, but I believe this possibility exists maybe five or even 10 years ago. Uh, these days, I don't think it's possible 
because maybe 10 years ago, the relationship between China and North Korea, they are more close. So we see some tool overlap between North Korea and Chinese APT actors. And uh, some people speculated that they have some technical exchange activity. So it's mm. results this phenomenon. But for these days, I believe the relationship between these two countries are not so close anymore. So it's less likely they will have this kind of uh, mm-hmm. cooperation. You made a point that the uh, the Chinese triactor groups tend to be quite low profile. And I think I kind of agree with that because when we think about North Korea, we, we hear about all this, you know, Sony picture attacks, wanna cry, right? And then mm. when we hear about Russia, we hear about ransomware, the prolific uh, ransomware attacks, solar wind supply chain attacks. Mm-hmm. When we hear about Israel, of course, we hear about all this uh, Pegasus spyware. But mm. when it comes to China, we don't seem to have any sort of... um big headline story that's attached to the Chinese threat actors. And when you say that they tend to be low profile, I think that you got the point, I guess. Yes, because I think that's their characteristic, uh, because they, they work for their government. And uh, there are some cases they made some mistakes, so their footprint got disclosed by security vendor researchers. And in this case, they will quickly modify their operations and correct this kind of mistakes to prevent exposure. Mm. Yeah, that's their working style. So is it fair to say then that their security operations are quite mature Then they tend to make a lot of effort to make sure that they don't leak um, information after their intrusion efforts, after their attacks? I believe they keep uh, improving their SOP gradually. So if you compare their APT actors security measure 10 years ago and compare Mm. their security measure now, it's very different. Interesting. Okay. So um, just one Mm. last question. We briefly might touch on, you know, China's uh, five-year plan and how the cyber operations tend to be quite aligned with the five-year plan. And one example that we talked about, of course, is the entertainment industry targeting and the Chinese uh, gaming uh, crackdown, right? And um, in the last year, they released quite a few sort of high-profile um, regulations. And one, of course, that we all hear about is the uh, personal information protection law, right? It's kind of like the China's GDPR. Um, mm. But the one thing that I guess our audience will be quite interested to know more about and the impact on the um, the Chinese uh, threat landscape is its new vulnerability disclosure regulation that requires vendors to share vulnerability reports with the state within two mm. days, right? So there's some suggestions that the Chinese government is stockpiling zero days, for example. What are your views about uh, the impacts of of this uh, regulation on the Chinese uh, cyber threat landscape? We consider this kind of regulation as their digital weapon control measurement. Uh, They don't want their vulnerability researchers to disclose this vulnerability to other countries. Uh, they want to utilize this kind of vulnerability as much as possible. So there's cases that there's some hacker competition in Chengdu and Mm -hmm. uh, some uh, vulnerability researcher published zero-day vulnerability. If my memory is correct, it's in Chrome. And a few months later, that vulnerability was discovered to be used in some attacks against other countries. 
So I think that their ultimate purpose of these regulations, Chinese government consider they have a great vulnerability uh, researcher and uh, they want these results to be utilized by their own. Yeah, there was a lot of talk about some of these uh, zero-day competitions or about bounty competitions. The Chinese teams mm. have stopped participating. And um, mm. Mm-hmm. yes, right. So just my last question. So thank you very much for your time. But before we go, if I may just take a step back and look at what we have discussed so far. So the Chinese cyber threat actors, um, they are very agile. They are very, they, they adapt quickly. They have been growing in sophistication. We didn't go much, so much in details into their tactics or their techniques, but I think there's a lot of uh, talk about their, uh, the use of spear phishing, you know, um, and of course they also uh, misuse unauthorized access. And so for our audience out there, what would you recommend as some of the uh, key mitigation measures to counter these the Chinese threats? Actually, for these days, we see many defense tools came out. For example, uh, EDR, they could be useful weapons to defend against this kind of uh, sophisticated attacks. However, uh, as we mentioned, these threat actors, they are adaptable. They change their tools, their TDP, their CNC infrastructure quickly. So in these cases, I believe tailored cyber threat intelligence could help boost the power of, uh, for example, uh, firewall EDR tools. So I believe these tools should be combined with cyber threat intelligence to defend against these APD attacks. So to summarize, um, customize EDR tools with um, more sharing of threat intelligence to get ahead of their ever-evolving cyber sophistication. Right. So thank you, Charles, uh, for a very interesting podcast. Hopefully, you know, when we speak again next time, perhaps um, at the next uh, Taiwan, Taiwanese election, perhaps uh, we mm. won't see as many threats uh, coming from the mm. Chinese uh, government. Thank you, Charles, for your time today. No problem. Thank you.